So Moses saw a bush on fire. Was it really on fire or may, was he taking some sort of sacrament that connected him with the divine? Like, do you have some examples here of where this could maybe be true? Yeah, totally. Part of it is our fundamentalist interpretation of scripture, whether it's New Testament, Old Testament, people are taking things at face value. And the problem with that is one, Sasha, um, the original, you got to go back to the original language, right? Which is why the Jewish people teach Hebrew. And they're pretty good at not changing the scriptures, but you've got to, you've got to really go back and, and digest the real hidden meaning there. Um, because even in the scripture of Torah, it, it tells us there's two Torahs. There's the black Torah and the white Torah. Hey everybody, welcome to Psychedelic Spotlight. I am here with a very special guest, Matthew Weintrup. Am I pronouncing your last name right? Yeah, Sasha, you got it. Okay, good, because I was wondering. Um, so you are a healer, you're an entrepreneur, you're a scholar, and now you're an author as well with this book. It's called uh, The Psychedelic Origin of Religion, and I think that title is super intriguing. Um, I had a chance to skim through most of the chapters, but kind of want to dive into it today for our audience so that they can get an overview of what this book is actually claiming, I guess, at the end of the day. So do you want to give us like the two minute sort of what this book is getting into? Yeah, it's a it's a trippy journey, I would say, that kind of details both how Eastern civilization and Western civilization traces back the roots of all these religions and practices to a shamanic way of life, an indigenous way of life, and ceremonial practices that involve using psychedelic sacraments. And so, and so the, the fundamental argument that I think the book makes is that any of the, the modern traditional practices that we see or um, any of the modern religions that we, even if they're from the Abrahamic faiths, they do have some real strong origin in, um, in psychedelics being sort of like what got them to that spot in terms of their ritual and practice. Am I correct in saying that? A hundred percent, you're yeah, correct. Which is pretty intense. So uh, for the audience here that don't have like a lot of background in theology, or they may not have taken a religious study course or something like that. Do you want to like pull uh, one example from one of the chapters that sort of links that together for us in terms of, you know, ancient civilization, psych uh, psychedelics here, modern Christianity or Islam here, and where those dots are along the way that can kind of show us how psychedelics may have played a role? Yeah, so, I mean, we can kind of start with the modern age, right? Because I trace back the history to get to the modern age where we, those who are familiar with psychedelic medicine understand its progress, right? People in the movement, working to change the laws to give people the right to heal with these sacred yeah. plant medicines. Um, but for people at home that don't maybe know what a psychedelic is, right, that is a, a plant, a natural substance that really alters your perception, allows you to tap into the divine. 
And I'm not just claiming that. That is now backed up by research from John Hopkins, et cetera. So now we have the science of how psychedelics helps us heal from trauma, like mental illness, mental health disorders. One of four Americans, right, will have yeah. a mental illness. Um, but then we see this mystical component to it. And modern science doesn't really know too much about that. No. But these uh, indigenous cultures do. Right. So there is these indigenous cultures, especially the Native American cultures of the North and South Americas that are still living in this way. Absolutely. And so they have that way of life, which is fascinating. And it just starts creating questions in one's mind, like myself, where I got a vision to kind of ask the question. Yeah. Do all these religions have origins in psychedelics is what I'm experiencing common to what I grew up with because I grew up Jewish but it was spiritually dry I think most people that are like in a spiritual community there's a lot of there's a lot of people that have walked away from that as a society and as a society we've kind of walked away from that because it's become so spiritually dry it's almost like processed food Mm -hmm. what's been left over you know yeah and it was really that questioning of does this exist? And when you go back and trace it all through, whether it's Yeshua, Mm -hmm. Jesus known as the Christ, or Buddha, or Muhammad, Prophet Muhammad, Mm -hmm. the Jewish people, they were all doing uh, these types of ceremonies uh, using sacred sacraments. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about Let's talk about the Torah. Let's talk about the Old Testament. Let's talk, like, because you come from a Jewish background. Uh, my dad and my grandmother are also Jewish. And so I grew up with, uh, you know, uh, coming home for Fridays for the Sabbath and, like, just, like, literally, like, okay. have no life. <laughs> and a lot Same. of, like, yeah, shalom. so I think this is very, very, very interesting for me. So it's like, okay, so Moses saw a bush on fire. Was it? really on fire or may was he taking some sort of sacrament that connected him with the divine like do you have some examples here of where this could maybe be true yeah totally part of it is our fundamentalist interpretation of scripture whether it's new testament old testament people are taking things at face value and the problem with that is one sasha um the original you gotta go back to the original language right which is why the jewish people teach hebrew and they're pretty good at not changing the scriptures, but you've got to you've got to really go back and, and digest the real hidden meaning there, um, because even in the scripture of Torah, it, it tells us there's two Torahs. There's the black Torah and the white Torah, right, representing light and, and the shadow. Mm-hmm. And what is revealed to the people is the black Torah. It's what's written down, what people know. But what we've forgotten is that white Torah, that lost Torah. And so we know in um, it you know, from archaeological research that they have found and know now that cannabis was the key component of the anointing oils. So you have this documented evidence of anointing oils. It was made with highly concentrated cannabis. It was used to anoint kings like King Saul or King Solomon. Yeah. There's, there's descriptions in the scripture of after these happening, these anointings that they're kind of going crazy, speaking in tongues, because they're literally having a vision or having something that would be similar to a psychedelic experience. And you see that in the literature. And and it's it's more than that. I mean, we have this word mana, 
right? Yeah. And yeah. Mana, in those, that part of the scripture is talking about this bread of heaven, heavenly grain. Yes. So where does a heavenly grain come from? What is a heavenly grain? Okay, so for people who don't know what mana is, can we just backtrack for a second? So like traditionally we understand mana or mana to be the the heavenly bread that came down into the desert when the the Israelites were like wandering in the desert for 40 years, right? So they survived on this mana, right? Now, are you saying it's it wasn't literally a physical unleavened bread that fell, but perhaps something else yeah i i would make an argument this is probably the weakest argument in the documented history of judaism and psychedelics that that mana is a magic mushroom and the reason i say it is thunderstorms we know this from research it's done in japan thunderstorms induce the growth of mushrooms lightning and this is why the hindus actually would refer when they referred to the mushroom, the name they really gave it, the meaning was from from thunder, because uh, that's how they associated with it. And so you're saying that these things, um, first of all, the mana didn't spoil overnight. If I go into my kitchen cabin, I have some dried mushrooms. I don't know what variety, but any variety, they last a while um, and, and you can't eat them. So to me, I I, I do feel that that is a metaphorical description uh, that they weren't just eating mana. Uh, but if you were eating mana, by the way, every day like that, you wouldn't get hungry. So yeah. you would be, you would be content. You would be fine. <laughs> I've done it. I've done it. So I've done it as a ritualistic practice. See, so I could imagine. Okay. So the sacraments, the, the anointing oils, uh, cannabinoids like the, the, this literally had high concentration of THC in it so it was affecting folks um what other what other examples do you have of uh, potential psychedelics being used during that time in that part of the world right I was going to pull up something on on this on the summer but I think we should talk about acacia wood okay because the acacia wood tree is is native to that part of the world where the tribes were mm. and um Acacia was also revered by the Egyptian people. Uh, Osiris, the goddess Osiris, who was often called the tree of life, a tree of life description was referring back to the acacia wood tree, which they revered. The acacia wood tree contains DMT. So Rabbi Harry Rosenberg is one of the foremost experts on psychedelics and Judaism. And I went to him to confirm that research, right? And he did the ironclad research that he got approved by all the rabbis that would approve of his thesis, because that's kind of how Torah works with blockchain and Talmud and, and et cetera, that DMT, acacia wood, was used by the high priest, by the Pharisees, to go into this ancient chamber, to be consumed by smoke, to have a vision and bring that back to the people. And that's just straight up in the scripture of Torah. Right. But also he points out, which is amazing, because what we know about DMT on the science side is that you get in this scripture where they're talking about the pineal gland or pineal in Hebrew. But it's really a euphemism because and I forget who in the scripture I could pull it up, who in the scripture is wrestling with an angel. Um, 
and this this I can pull that up. But the the point about DMT is the same thing with Moses, right? That people are making this theory, uh, certain scientists about it, because we also know that there was soma with the Hindus, and that traces back at least fifteen thousand years. Mm -hmm. which became a version of that called Hamoa with the Zoroastrians. Mm -hmm. And from the Zoroastrians, Ezra the scribe is a famous Jewish prophet who wrote 94 books of scripture, which slowly became codified later on. Well, Ezra learned to drink psychedelic wine, the Hamoa, from the Zoroastrians when he served the king and was returned from exile back to Israel. So what do we he think? brought that practice. Yeah, what do we think uh, Hamoa or Soma or was originally made of? Well, the interesting thing is, because we had the acacia wood, the tribes of Israel. Yeah. That the tribes of Israel were making their own brew, their own ayahuasca. Soma is like a version of ayahuasca, right? A brewed psychedelic sacrament. And the acacia wood, in theory, and I'm pulling up the theory from uh, one of the professors who did um, research on this. I yeah. think it was, ben, yeah, Benny Shannon. Okay. So he, Benny Shannon did research on this. He's at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. And he believes that uh, the native brew for the Jewish people is made up of the acacia tree and harmala. And this harmala is similar to how ayahuasca is made. There's two key plants. One has a MAO inhibitor. Yeah. So the harmala is an inhibitor that would give you access to that experience. And to, and to codify for people listening, DMT is naturally produced in the brain of all of us in our pineal gland. As we dream, it's in every living plant. So it's uh, and very natural. Yeah, very natural. Yeah, um, we need the inhibitor to go with it. So that is fascinating. Um, Can I, The thing I want to add to that is, I really want to focus on the psychedelic component to like yeah. provide the proof, but there's also this whole component of shamanistic practices from the Talmud right. that have also been abandoned for certain historical reasons. And so not only were the Jewish people doing this, but they had shamanic practices with the land, with nature, with the four directions. Let's talk about that. What yeah, were, so, what so in the, if you go to an ayahuasca ceremony outside the United States, and there's some that are held here, mm -hmm. you typically go into a teepee, a circle, a maloka. There's a fire there that they're maintaining yeah. and praying to, and they're using a drum, often using a drum and instruments to sing ikaros, sacred prayers. And then they administer the sacred sacraments and have a ceremony. And uh, the crazy part is in the Talmud, the Baal Shems, this is the Hebrew word for shaman, of which evolved the Baal Shem Tov. But the Baal Shems were healers, and they were shamans, and they used a drum. And on that drum, there were to be markings, sacred markings from the northern tribes, which go even further back than like our documented Hebrew, of the north, south, east, and west, because we had a prayer to the four sacred directions, just like the Native American people. Wow. There would be in the middle seven markings for seven spirits of the angels, etc. Wow. The Jewish people had prayers to the plant people, the rock people, all these living spirits, and it was an acknowledged practice. And that was in combination with 
these sacred sacraments. It's kind of fascinating because like, it seems like, like if we look at like even like Norse culture and traditional pagan practice or um, the Druid practice, if we look at like, you know, um, the UK, for instance, and the original indigenous people from those areas, all very similar in terms of um, North, South, East, West honoring the land, being very in touch with earth, these shamanic practices, essentially. And so to see them get morphed into these modern religions everywhere, I guess we're, you're seeing the pattern. Correct. And, and it's really a question of how far it goes back. Because the Hindu writings, which are at least at least as old as the Jewish calendar, right, six thousand years old, they could potentially go back fifteen thousand years to maybe eighty thousand or beyond. Mm-hmm. They also directly in 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 the research show that they were saying prayers of the north, south, east, and west in their sacred Sanskrit. They were doing this around a fire, and they were consuming soma. So I so. In some ways, I think it's fascinating when you do all this research because you start to realize there is, there was, and continues to be by certain cultures, a universal religion of praying to all of nature, Mm -hmm. taking care of nature and being in unison with nature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I could see a lot of fundamentalists having a real hard time with this one. I could see on one hand, it's like, yeah, okay, cool. I can see how psychedelics may have had a role in these more, you know, ancient, you know, civilizations that existed and these indigenous practices. But I have a harder time accepting the fact that, you know, what I'm reading now might have been a direct result of a sacred trip. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Accessing that. I think people. Now, when you say fundamentalist, do you mean, for instance, like a, a Hasidic? Yeah, like a religious fundamental, even for religious Christian, as a Jew, like anybody who has. Well, so let's talk about the Hasidim, right? Mm-hmm. Because the, I would ask them, why do 50% of those raised Hasidim leave? Why do you think that is? I would have to ask the people that leave, but. I think that uh, 50% of people being raised this way are leaving. It's a sign that the way of life is not as pure as you might wish it was. Of course. I mean, it's, but it's like that everywhere. And, and the issue I personally have is that in the Torah, there is a, there is a recognition of the divine. And the divine has masculine properties and feminine properties. So the Shehekiah. I'm sorry. The Shehekia is this concept of the divine feminine. And it's been completely ignored by the Jewish community. And especially ignored by the Orthodox community. It separates men and women. Of course. Of course. And it got so bad recently, and I noted this, that whoever runs the Orthodox Association for the Hasidim in the United States basically banned women from being rabbis. Like, mm-hmm. what? Mm-hmm. Because... And here's, and to be fair, here's what happened to our people. The women who typically, as we know, are great healers. They're always caretakers. That's their role, mm-hmm. right? If you go look at nursing, it's 95% women. So women have always been the Balshams, always. But during the Inquisition, our Balshams had to go underground. 
you know, and be repressed. And so women couldn't because if they did, they were labeled a rich witch and then they were just murdered. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so this genocide went on for 3000 years, so, mm -hmm. not 3000, but like since the time of Yeshua. Yeah, right? for a long time. Yes. Women have had to hide their natural inclinations as healers. Absolutely. Because it's scary to the patriarchy. But not to get into a whole sort yeah. of fight about what scares uh, uh, the male ego or whatever, but it, it has been that thing. Women have had to hide it. Absolutely, what I'm saying. Yeah, and I like I wouldn't get too much more into that, but mm -hmm. I would just question someone, especially if they haven't had an experience. Mm -hmm. Why not? It's a natural substance. Yeah, and there's evidence in the scripture, so why not? Because we know from a confidence interval of scientific research that 80 plus percent of people report most significant spiritual experience or second most in their life. Absolutely. Yep. 100%. So I think uh, to me, right, uh, there's everybody has their opinion of Torah. But to me, Torah is a couple of things. We want a guide to enlightenment. And the genesis of Torah is how to how to live a life of love and kindness. Mm -hmm. Hesed, loving kindness. So that's what the Torah teaches us to do, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I don't believe that you have to follow exactly specific rules that define every interaction with the physical reality to do that. Because I, I know that uh, God is love. Mm -hmm. That's in John 3, 14. Mm -hmm. and and I know that the kingdom of heaven is within you. It's in your own heart. Mm -hmm. So I know that God is going to judge my heart, not the way I'm saying a prayer, you know, if I'm not saying it perfect, all this stuff. So we put that on each other, right, by, mm -hmm. by creating religion or creating certain rules around what is acceptable or not. There's good things to do, right? There are just good things to do and to honor God. You know, saying a prayer before you drink water, saying a prayer before you eat food. Mm -hmm. That's a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. We should all do that. But, you know, we got to we got to think a little bit about uh, certain things. So I this this conjures up a lot of questions, you know, and it's interesting because not everybody believes there is a God. Um, do you, do you feel that, <laughs> do you feel that psychedelics, I mean, like you said, science has recently discovered that, you know, there's something mystical happening here when people actually take psychedelics and they're, they're getting access to a higher power, um, that doesn't know these boundaries or labels that we plebe humans, uh, prescribe to it. And so would you say that psychedelics actually helps people to become more spiritual? I, I anecdotally would say yes. And I would say that the people that I have met that were agnostic at best prior to taking psychedelics definitely come through their experiences feeling very connected with a higher power. Um, but would you say that, yeah, these this is probably why we form so many different rituals and religions because we did get connected to the higher power. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Right. A hundred percent. And my 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 knowing. Mm -hmm. So my knowing is that by doing these things in this way, we all have access to that relationship. It's a relationship with Great Spirit, with God, Allah. Mm -hmm. Hashem, whatever word you want to use, the universe. Mm -hmm. It's a relationship that you build. And like anything, any relationship takes work, mm -hmm. you know, a consistent effort. 
And so um, I would say to people that one, the you mentioned the Christian people. Yeah. Well, Yeshua was Jewish, first off. Mm-hmm. He was still Jewish up until the day he left this planet. Yeah. Yeah. And what he tried to do is bring back to the people the true Torah, which is a certain way of life. So I'm Christian so people should be yeah. super interested in learning about Judaism. Yeah. And the Jewish people, our people, should be super interested in learning about the true teachings of Yeshua. His teachings have been manipulated and disseminated in, in a, unfortunately, bad way. There's been a lot, a lot of death and destruction in the name of Christ. Oh man, and it's so and sad. That's not... uh, my father, who who went back to his roots and taught himself Hebrew, um, and you know, the prayer tassels, you name it, like very like um, you know, uh, traditional household, but then became a Messianic Jew because he really, really, Uh-oh. he really, yeah, he really wanted to understand these teachings. And, and for me, I find it fascinating um, because I feel that the, the issue that I could see coming up here for folks that are Christian that believe that Christ is the way to God, it's like God is here and access to God is through Christ. And they well, take it so literally, like it's yeah. so like it has to be through Jesus because that you get well, one what. Yeah, I'm sorry to overrun you there. No problem. The 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 thing is for the Christian people, right? Who really are just our brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. is that they don't know even Christ's true teachings. And one of those was that he used psychedelic sacraments. That was his Eucharist. <laughs> okay, right? let's so, talk about that for a second. Jesus so, Christ used psychedelics. Go on, Matthew. Let's talk about that. Yeah, and so so I'll add that in. I do want to mention, because you mentioned the atheist, right? Yeah. The atheist person. Mm-hmm. And I would say that, one, God is not religious. And a lot of people who are atheists have run away from God because of religion. religion. Of course. But God hates religion. Yeah. Like, it's in the scriptures. God doesn't like religion. But psychedelics, excuse me. I feel that psychedelics transcends religion and gives you that access, that shamanistic access. Shamanism, Mm -hmm. entheogenic means like union. Shamanism, yoga means union. It's a union Mm -hmm. because, and to speak the language of the Christian people, if God is love, John 3, 14, and Christ is the way, Mm -hmm. the way to God, Christ is the way to love. And where is God? Where is love? The kingdom is within. Where do you feel love in your body? Mm-hmm. Within. Yeah, in your heart area. You right here. Yeah. That's where God is. So when you're operating there, you're in a good way. Mm-hmm. Are on the path to be loving and kind. So that's the confusion, I think, for the Christian people is this distraction of things are without you. Yes. Uh, and that's a cultural-wide issue. But what about when Christ says, not to get too theological, but when Christ says, you know, the sacrifice of his blood and his flesh as the son of God, et cetera. And I find that Christians really cling to this. It's like, well, it's through this final sacrifice, because for those who don't follow our old religious ways, we used to sacrifice animals. Anyone from coming from a Abrahamic faith, you know, we used to sacrifice 
uh, sheep and, you know, cows and bulls on these altars. And then to stop that, which was awful when you think about it, right, to, to yeah. repent for our sins, the final sacrifice was Jesus Christ. And so for those who followed that vein of where things start breaking off and believe that he is the son of God, then that was the final sacrifice. And we no longer have to sacrifice animals and things anymore. We just believe in Christ. And then that's our gateway. When I take a psychedelics, I feel I'm directly connected. I kind of, I don't need to go through the gateway of Jesus Christ anymore. Yeah. But it's a, it's a great question. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. To add on to that piece about Christ and psychedelics, well, he grew up Jewish, so he could have been exposed in that way. By the time the Jewish people were fairly sterile in terms of their spiritual practices, so he could have gotten exposed when he moved south into Egypt, okay. all mystery schools, et cetera, so all those practices. But from 13 to 30, no one knows where Christ went. Except, except for the monasteries in northern India, which have scriptures about Isha Putra, as they called him, son of God, where he was anointed after mastering every wisdom practice wisdom teaching there anointed the title christ son of god and at 30 he left and came back and came back at 31 and in the new testament what does it say he started he started spreading the gospel yeah so that's one component right mm -hmm. to to his story and we can get more into that the other question you asked was about um the relationship that Christian people have with Christ. Mm -hmm. And I would say that since we're all children of God, we're all connected to God. And there are souls that come down, right? They're, and they embody this light. That's why Christ said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the light. Because mm -hmm. he knew how to hold that and be that. That basically status is an avatar. They're truly embodying the highest ideals of God through spiritual practices, through spiritual discipline. Mm -hmm. The difference between the Christian people and, say, a Hindu person is a Hindu person acknowledges that there's a lot of beings throughout history that come down at certain points to do that. Yeah. As spiritual teachers, the Christian people are really stuck on and it's fine, but they believe that Christ is the only one. And the confusion, I think, with that, with some of the false teachings around that is that a lot of Christian people don't believe they could be equal to Christ. They think that Christ is beyond them and they are beneath. But if you really knew Christ's teachings, Christ taught that everyone is ancient, equal, sovereign, and imperishable. That we're all children of the light. From the light we come to the light we return. So there actually should be a message of hope that if you actually do the practices, the meditations, the prayer, the fasting, these rituals, mm -hmm. that you too can walk like Christ. And people say, oh, it can't be like Christ. Well, Thomas, his second in command, mm -hmm. Apostle Thomas was called the twin. Why? Because he was, uh, and, and Yeshua felt that he was a, a contemporary of his, an equal. He understood. My, some folks might not who t not know who Thomas is, though, because I don't think that was canonized. So I Fair. think, right. So that was he was he Thomas. Thomas was an apostle. Yeah. And there are reasons why his gospel is not included. 
And we could get into all those reasons another time. We, we don't have to get into that and cover it in the book a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But um, I'm actually going to do a scripture review. I did a scripture review with a friend of mine who's uh, a Christian priest. Yeah. Who experienced psychedelics and is now, wow, you know, tapping into that way of life and going back to what I call original Christianity. Yeah. Fascinating. All right. So where can folks go and read this book or get their hands on this book? I highly recommend it. It just kind of opens up a lot of different doors and you'll probably have more questions after you actually read this book, but then you can go reach out to Matthew probably on his social handles. Um, so where can folks go now to get your book? Yeah, you can go to Amazon. That's the only place that exists. Just type click clack on the keyboard, psychedelic origin religion. And you can get ebook, audiobooks free, paperback, whatever you want. Awesome. Um, all right. So let's talk a little bit about the other projects that you have going on. Um, you you are busy. So this is one thing that you do, but you you've got a lot going on. Um, I've got a couple of minutes left. Let's talk about what kind of message you want to broadcast to uh the psychedelic spotlight audience. Yeah, for sure. So I'm working on a platform called Ohi. And Ojai is really building an operating system to heal Earth. And as part of that, part of our operating system is we're building a platform for healing. And in my perspective, as someone who's trained in indigenous healing and these sacred practices, I want to build a platform, really an operating system that can create community, that can guide you from preparing for an experience, a ceremony, all the way through what happens after with the integration, with yeah. the coaching, with the lifetime commitment that you're making. It's a big responsibility to start doing this work. It brings up a lot of stuff. Yeah, and I realized from my own experience, figuring things out until I found a tribe that took me in, is that we need structure. Right. We still need structure. Like we can go back to these ancient practices, but we need ways to commune and, and to learn and yeah. to heal and grow. And, and eventually you get beyond psychedelic practices. You know, there's amazing meditations and just so much you can explore. And so creating a, a platform for that and then bringing in indigenous elders from around the world to help steward that and create our own version of certification that is complementary. Oh, interesting. And can compete with, Okay. Uh, competition is probably not a good word, but can really give people confidence that this system of, of well care, as I call it, is evolving healthcare into well care. And that's what I want to do is I want to shift the system to well care. Start with your mental health, your spiritual health, and then it extends into your physical health. Mm-hmm. So coming up with entire curriculums of certification using more traditional practices of shamanism. Is that correct? So that would be a that's a longer term right, discussion okay. to basically say, you know, if you have an MD, mm -hmm. right, you can go look up their degree and where they're from. Yeah. And today, if you talk to a healer, you don't know what chief they studied under. Did they earn their tobacco pipe? Have they done their time on the mountain? Yeah. Right. Some people are serving medicine, but maybe don't have the full experience or mm -hmm. understanding because there are things beyond the medical system with prayer that it's just important Absolutely. to integrate. And so trying to build that in a good way and then build this platform in a way that kind of operates like an Airbnb 
meets LinkedIn model for that. Where we bring in holistic medicines yeah. and offerings, but we just, you can trust that our network is made of good people. So where is that at right now? Can I go to the website right now? Check it out for folks. You can go to ohiwellness.com. Yep. It's just a coming soon page to sign up for an email. Yep. Right. And give us your email. You can follow us on Instagram at ohiwellness, O-H-A-I, wellness. Perfect. And we're just working on that behind the scenes. We want to set up a crowdfunding campaign and and do this in a good way. So, so if anyone's interested in um, sort of like lending a hand or if they are interested in becoming a healer or practitioner, should they head on over to that site as well? Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Absolutely. So my lineage, my tribe, the nation uh, is, is always looking to bring people onto the path. Mm -hmm. And it is a, it's a four year commitment, but it's a good process. So. Amazing. Well, Matthew, it was so great to have you on today. I feel like we could have gone off in so many different probably tangents, and it was so hard to keep on track because it, it all relates, though, you know, to to what we're talking about. But it's a huge topic that you're diving into. I look forward to reading more books from you, actually, um, as you uh, unpack uh, what is the origin of spirituality, really, and how how plant medicines actually play a role. Um, thank you so much for your time and, uh, we'll definitely put the links up here for everybody, um, so they can access that for you. And I guess I'll see you in the threads. Cool. All right. See take care. Bye.